Welcome to the Daily Objective. Somewhere out there, the Lord Emperor Razi is uh, pu pulling the strings, making it all happen, but we're delighted you're, you're here and joining us on a really interesting day. <coughs> you know, it's the Ayn Rand Center UK, of course, and we have, a, we have a, a topic of interest to those of us in the UK, but also those of us in the around, around the world, and particularly about privatization. So, Nicholas, I'm, I'm going to toss it to you. I'm going to fix my audio and toss it to you and let you intro really what the topic at hand is here. Okay. So, the news of the day in the UK is that basically the government is putting an end to the, quote, experiment of privatization of the railroads, and the <laughs> railroads are returning to national control. So, and notice we're talking about the conservative government. So, a bit of a background. So the rails in this country were built privately, <clears throat> but at some point, I think in the 40s, they were uh, they were nationalized, and they were everything was under national control, which means the trucks, the stations, and the trains. This changed during the last years of the consecutive conservative governors that started with Thatcher and then continued with John Major. And just before Labour came back to power, uh, many of the parts of the railway system were privatized. So you have different train companies running different lines. Now, today the government announced that <coughs> it brings the whole of the system again under national control. And it's going to be called the Great British Railway. What this means is that the government is going to control the rails, the network, the trucks, and now also the tickets, and also it's going to control things such as timetable and all that stuff. So there will be private companies who will be literally running the trains, but that will be it. So they will have zero control on the system. All they have to do is to run the trains with guidelines set, prices, ticket prices set by the government. Now, why is this happening? Because apparently the old system was, quote, confusing. That's what the government said. And before I give the throw the ball to you, just to say one thing. Railroads were still, were definitely not a well-operated thing in this country. So there have been many cases where I travel from Greece and it's cheaper for me to travel from Greece to the airport than travel from the airport to my place with a, with a train. And the idea was the government said, look, people were not happy. Therefore, now we're going to make the system better, but also cheaper, because now it's not going to be for profit. It's going to be for the public interest. So that's my introduction. Looking forward to what is your take. You know, you know Nikos, I'll, I'll jump in and just say I'm a little bit disappointed because even as an American, I'd always been in awe of a move in Europe and in the UK towards privatization of infrastructure. You know, privatization of like the, the post office is private or privately run in effect in, in the UK. Um, there are privately uh, privatized roads in the UK and in Spain, for example, highways. Um, so I was always in admiration. Now it sounds like very often, like in so many cases, what is privatized is not really privatized. Some elements of it are privatized, some elements are not, and then they blame the private part and the whole thing is say see the capitalists fucked it up we have to take over the whole thing my guess is that's probably what happened in, in the uk but i think it's a terrible move forward because you know we're going through in the u.s here this big thing oh we got to spend a lot of money for infrastructure like railroads 
And now more than ever, we should be following what you did back in the 70s and 80s with Thatcher, privatize some of that stuff. I mean, the MTA in New York City, the, the, the subway, privatize that. Sell it to Disney or Tesla, whoever. Um, stop it being a, a, gov a government obligation. It sounds like you're moving in just the opposite direction in the UK. And just to clarify something on how it's exactly what you said. It's not that the system was private. So, for example, all the trucks and all the stations belong to an organization called Network Rail. Now, this was a de facto state-run organization, but for reasons that have to do with the government, uh, maybe under European jurisdiction, uh, not being able to, to subsidize national industries, it, it had a very gray area status but it was by no means a private enterprise. So still the government was basically running the railroads. So my message here is today is not a big revolution in any way. It's just that the conservative government saying, de facto now we understand that the best way to run the railroads is under the state auspices. But let me play a bit devil's advocate here. So let me, let me throw this question to, to Mark. So Mark, look, isn't it better if railroads are not run for profit because then any money that comes to the railroads, it goes back to the networks and we have cheaper tickets? And am I not better off with that? So instead of the money going to the pocket of the CEO, it goes back to the trains. Therefore, we're all happier. So what's wrong with that? And why do you capitalists want to want <laughs> privatize infrastructure? Well, I, I think because uh, privatization means you allow the price system to operate. And, and that means that companies can actually compete with each other for, for services. And that has it puts a downward pressure on prices. If prices are rising in a quote unquote private, uh, uh, privatized uh, industry, I can tell you right now, it's probably not privatized. I know here in the United States, um, very, there, there were different train companies that were, uh, that were disturbed by the fact that some lines were private and competing for prices. And so they combined in trusts to try to control prices and gain what they, a mon monopoly over the market. They could never achieve that in private. See, they wanted to maintain high prices all the time or what they called stable prices. But these, these upstart you know, little lines were coming up and charging far less and competing with them. So in, they realized they couldn't do this privately, so they formed the ICC, the Interstate Commerce Commission, and, and these people were basically a commission of, of, of private companies that got together and decided to collude with each other on prices, which I'm sure is what was happening probably in, in, the England, in, in England. I don't know that for a fact, but if prices weren't falling, there's really no competition between the two to drive to exert a downward pressure on prices. So look, when, com when competition is happening, it's consumer friendly. Those prices are going to go down and the CEOs of these companies are going to have to figure out ways to cut costs, um, you know, in, in good ways in order to maintain their their roads and attract people uh, to their business. So, yeah, and, and I'll just throw in too. I mean, Dr. Brooke, Dr. Jerome Brooke always makes the point about, you know, um, I guess Carnegie had the kerosene market locked up and who competed kerosene out of business was Edison with uh, uh, electricity, right? In terms of that, who could have seen that? So, uh, you know, who says we, i.e. the British people or the American, we need railroads anymore. I mean, in an age of Uber, in an age of Lyft, in an age of internetworking small types of railroads, you know, you have networks of rail, of, of infrastructure 
pick up immediately that's price sensitive. I mean, when you think about the Uber kind of, you know, it's, it's such wealth creation, right? When you think about it, it's almost you can't remember life before it. So just this implicit idea that we, the people, need to have this monstrosity. I mean, do we need to have vaudeville uh, theaters still, the people? Do we need to support that? I mean, maybe railroads are just a thing of the past. But our Edison, government- Edison our killed those too, the, by the way. Edison killed Mark? those too. Edison killed those too. But, but, but you here's what I'm saying right here. I mean, this idea that we need government to run the railroads, why should there even be railroads, let alone government involved in that decision? Well, they have to be because when you see, for example, in Europe, the government's banning short haul flights. So the idea is if you can go there by two hours and something by train, there's, there shouldn't be a flight operating. So that was a new thing in France. And I see it expanding everywhere. So again, it's such a skewed market that it's impossible to try to untangle what is happening. But for me, what is more interesting here is what are the ideas behind that? Why is this happening under a conservative government? And I want to share a story. December 2019 was the elections in this country. On the one side, there was the Labour Party with Jeremy Corbyn, who was considered the radical socialist. On the other side was the supposed neoliberal and pro-unfettered free markets conservative party. That night, I was watching the elections here with some colleagues. All of them were leftists. Some of them were actual Labour activists. So the Tories triumphed and all the people here were very, very sad. And because I'm a good person, I fell for them and I told them, look, don't be sad because you don't realize it, but you have won. You have won a long time now. You've won the battle of ideas, unfortunately for me. And when your victory is established, I'm looking forward to get the hell out of here, but you've won. You will see it in time that even this government that you consider that it's the neoliberal government, no, they are afraid of their shadow and you are not on power, but your ideas are on power. And indeed, what do we see following? We see the Labour Party, for example, sorry, we see the Conservatives imposing environmental regulations that the Labour, it's not that far from the Labour program, banning non-electric cars 10 years from now, banning plastic straws, and now doing this. So, and the question is this, what are the ideas that made the Conservatives accept this? And it's a couple of ideas. The first is that cheap transport is a right. If you accept that cheap transport is a right, and I am, I am stripped of this right, then yes, of course, the government needs to protect my rights, so the government needs to give me cheap transport. Why do I have this right? Conservatives don't care about this type of question. Another question is that the government's role is to make sure that the economy is run smoothly. So both the left and the right agree on that. Well, well, can I jump in and ask you, I mean, like, for example, in America, people often say we can't privatize the post office because there is something in the, in the Constitution about postal service. Now, it could be privatized on some level. But, for example, is there something in the UK, you know, political documents that says, oh, people have a right to get around at the public expense? <laughs> no, there's not in the documents, but it's in the document that counts, which is here. In people's mind, this is something very, very strong. So that's that's what makes the difference. So what you have basically is a collision of two central planners. Labor central planner says rail should be nationalized and run by the state. The Tories are saying, the supposedly defenders of the market saying rails should be nationalized, run by the state, but the actual trains can be private. So that's their difference. 
So, so what you have is conservatives who view freedom as an interesting hobby. For the conservatives, freedom is like this nice expensive suit that you wear every other Sunday if the weather is nice to go and play golf. <laughs> But then you put it back in the closet because, you know, what ideas are not to be taken seriously. Ideas is for whenever a think tank is inviting us and between champagne, we talk about freedom because we want to gain some votes. And by the way, please, free marketeers and liberals, and stuff, don't whitewash these people. Don't invite them. I mean, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Before the elections, you give them this legitimacy that they're pro-freedom. And then after elections, you see what is happening. So I don't want to name names of politicians that usually parade in these think tanks. But anyway. Nikos, I was going to say, it doesn't strike me as a driving motivator that you have a right to transportation. Otherwise, they would probably allow other forms of transportation. You, you, you have to get around with the community in mind. So there's still the, there, there's still the, uh, the sacrifice for the whole, for the collective, for the community and for the earth. And the way that the elite planners see um, to do that is to get around by train, give up your car, give up the airplane, give up the things that use all those fossil fuels and start traveling with the community in mind. So <clears throat> definitely collectivism is the, um, I'd say the, the uh, modus operandi of both can, parties. Can, can you make, you know, Nikos, you, you live there. Can you make the practical argument? You're making the philosophical argument. And by the way, thank you, Mary Aline. Thank <laughs> you. Emily, thank you, Klana, thank you all for your super chats and participation, subscribe, et cetera. But, you know, Nikos, can you say, for example, like, you know, here in America, we say, well, you know, if you wanted to send a piece of paper, a document that was important, you would send it Federal Express, you wouldn't put it in the mail. You know, so can you make that same type of idea, that practical argument in the UK and say, look, you know, the, the privately run enterprises are always better, more efficient, more reliable than the so-called ones for the public good. It's not easy because what are the privately run enterprises? So the role of the state is now so big in everything, particularly with COVID. So the government was practically running the trains throughout this period. And in a way, it made sense. I traveled to Greece three times from the start of the pandemic. Both of these three times when I was going to the airport, I was alone on the train wagon. And I'm talking about train wagons that back in the day I have, it has a, It has happened that I had to travel standing because it was so full. So that because of the lockdown and all that stuff, the trains have been empty for a year, more than a year. But somehow the trains had to keep running because, again, you have a right to transport. And therefore, the government has de facto nationalized them anyway. So I cannot tell you, check these two companies because, again, it's even if you go to, even if you put on Google, Does National Railway, is it a network which is private or public? This is, this is the company which is running the, the, which is owning the trucks. Even Google cannot give you an answer. You have to go through cases of litigation. It's, it's, it's so unclear that it's, you understand immediately now that no, this is a state run. And again, the government was, they didn't want to, to present it. They didn't want to present it that way. So, You can make this example in many other cases, but not particularly in public transport, because you cannot have this example. You cannot, have, you cannot even have airplanes compared with trains, because the price of the ticket is so artificially boosted by green, by green taxes, carbon taxes, and all that stuff, that, for example, you don't know, could it be that you could travel from Manchester to London cheaper 
and definitely faster with the airplane rather than from the train. We're never going to find out because it's so skewed. It's so skewed by all the ways that the government intervenes. And by the way, we're all losing because of that. It's, they're not making our life easier or cheaper. And Mark mentioned altruism. Who's going to pay for this? Uh, is, it, is it that the tickets are going to magically become cheaper? No. Someone's going to subsidize them, as it's happening already. And who is going to subsidize it? Whoever is going to subsidize it, the message is shut up and take it because it's your duty. And I, and I want to say, yeah, making a practical case, aside from the, the, the fact that it's, it's impossible to do because private companies have been, are, are embedded with government so much that it's really difficult to extract the private from the public and to, and to tell what's what and to make a pure case for the free market. Um, you, you, uh, oh my God, I just lost what I was gonna say. You, you have the additional problem, there we go, that the conservatives have been making practical arguments from their inception and the practical <laughs> arguments fall short because the, the left is making moral arguments. And so, so Rand was able to pinpoint that in what, the 50s and 60s, she was able to understand that the defense of free markets has to come from the moral sphere. It can't, it can't come from the practical sphere because the case has already been made. I mean, it's practically at perceptual yeah. level. All you have to do is look around you and see the astounding- I just feel like in a weird way, something like a, something like a, a, a delivery service or infrastructure is an easier way to make that practical case than healthcare. Because it's so, and thank you LMH. Thank you, Mary Lean. Mary Lean points out, you know, bureaucrats have no bloody idea how to build or manage infrastructure. So at a time of Uber, where something like a train is of really not as much importance as it used to be, right? I mean, you could have used to said that like, oh, television, there's only five stations, there was a monopoly, there was only one railroad, there's a monopoly. There's so many choices. Can't people just say, you know, um, we don't need government involved in, in the railway at all. It's actually a real suck. And instead of investing billions, give everyone a $5,000 rail credit and let them use that, let them spend that. I and mean, there's no innovative thinking. Especially, especially Nikos, as you as you described, when you're riding a train and you're the only person on it, imagine all of the resources that are being diverted to you, to just your your transportation, as opposed to other places that it would it would naturally flow to, because there's no market for the train at that moment. It's just uh, it, but it's some, that's yeah, I mean, something that's something that you don't same, see. We, we did the we, same thing here in America because we literally kept the planes flying during COVID, remember our government in the US spent, I don't know how many hundreds of billions, you really forget you forget counting at some point because they don't wanna see people laid off. So they, same thing, Nikos, kept the planes in the air. Just, you might as well have taken the money, gone out in the driveway and set it on fire because you're just destroying wealth at that point. So what is so frustrating, Nikos, is just like over here in the US, those conservatives, the so-called defenders of capitalism are anything but only objectivists, only Ayn Rand Center UK, you know, are the voices in the UK and around the world defending creative, innovative, moral, workable ideas. Yeah, again, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be bitter. I took, I took a look at Twitter at the biggest liberal think tanks today in the UK. Didn't see much about it. Just some comments that said, well, the system is not going to be perfect again. But so that's the level of resistance to this. One last thing. I've mentioned in the past, and I'll keep saying it, the biggest injustice in this country is that Jeremy Corbyn is not prime minister. That's exactly what this country deserves. That's exactly what the ideas of this country deserve. Let me give you one more clue for that. Uh, one of the ministers today said something like, it's confusing 
it's confusing that there are these different companies and when there's a delay, you don't know who to, this is confusing for the people. I mean, how infantilizing. It reminds me what Bernie Sanders says is, who wants to go to the supermarket and there are five, six, seven different deodorants? That's, that's like, what is your view of a human being? How stupid could you be to get confused that I get the ticket for this train and there was a delay? Who do I send the ticket form? You go online, you find, oh, it's to that person. So because they consider us that stupid, that's supposedly a good reason or one of the good reasons, that was not their only reason to say, we have to nationalize it. So people, when you get Corbyn or someone worse than Corbyn, you've asked for it 100% and you don't deserve anything better, dear Tories. And again, it's a big injustice that you, that you won last elections, but- uh, I'm just saying that last time in the, in the 60s and 70s, when things got bad, there was Ayn Rand and Milton Friedman to inspire some nationalization in Europe, excuse me, privatization in Europe in particular. And now there's no voices for privatization at all in Europe or the US. Uh, when things get around, the answer is bigger and bigger government once again. So, and one more thing. So what's gonna happen next time is, is the left is gonna say, look, we all agree that it's better for the railways to be run by the government. So why not also aviation, which is probably already the case. Why not also education? By the way, why not also the media? There's all these fake news and stuff. By the way, why not also healthcare, which is even more important than transportation? By the way, why not also energy? Isn't this also very important? So basically, you've thrown your weapons and now the, the road is clear for everyone who wants to say to have more controls on your life because again, the conservatives have given them the tools happily and without even a fight. That's right. Well, you can't yeah. fight people you agree with. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's such a it's such a and funny stingy student on the uh, on the uh, on the chat here. We have a very active chat with Stingy and Christopher and Sammy is bored again. A lot of great participants, and we love seeing you. We love this community that joins us every day for the daily objective, every week for the weekly objective, and it's a global community. We don't hide away from being globalists here. We appreciate that. And you know, Stingy says, you know. She says five, just five or six deodorants, and it's so true. I mean, um, Nicholas, what you're describing is that disgust at so many, or Bernie Sanders disgust at so many choices. You know, that's what my friend who lived in China for many years in the 90s came back and he said, oh my God, there's, who needs so many choices of so many cereals? And that's the abundance of capitalism. That's the abundance of markets. But in so many milieus of the economy, like infrastructure, there's just no slice for entrepreneurship at all. There's no slice for privatization at all. So at the same time that you know private companies are literally building rocket ships, going to the moon. I mean, Elon or one of these guys, Bezos, just auctioned off a seat on his trip to the moon. They don't think that he can run a friggin' train. He can. They just don't want to give him a chance. Hey, but you know what Bernie Sanders has to the what reality Bernie Sanders has to confront when he sees all of those all of those different products aligning a shelf. He has to confront the fact that his socialist determinism isn't real, that people actually have free will and choice and, and they can, and they're captains of their own destiny. And if that, if he had to acknowledge that simple moral fact, then he'd have to dethrone himself as our, as our elitist overseer. I think these are words to close the show by because again, they capture the essence of what is happening. Okay, have we got any announcements by our Lord Emperor, something that he wants us to tell people? Uh, let me just remind, if there's anyone who hasn't 
watched the debate the other day between Yaron Brook and Ashley Frawley on uh, capitalism versus Marxism. That was I, I rewatched it today. That was such a good fun. And uh, we're going to have more of Yaron next week. He's discussing with Zubi, Days of Tradition. Uh, oh, great. I love that. And also, you know, also, uh, also, also, Aaron Smith has an interesting uh, po podcast with Don Watkins on value philosophy. And I just wanted to give a plug to uh, Alex Epstein. Uh, he did a testimony before Congress that is a must see every minute of it is a lesson in philosophy. He schooled those suckers. Beautiful. Good. Yeah. And uh, so we, you, you mentioned Don Watkins. So next week, the communication bootcamp begins with Don Watkins. So this is for members only. So basically what we're giving you is for the price of uh, two lattes or whatever coffees people, God knows why, buy today overpriced stuff that tastes everything but coffee. Come on now. People have values. Yeah, okay, but that's my personal take on coffee. So for the price of two of these things per month, you basically get one-on-one -on -one communication uh, tutoring from Don Watkins. If you don't know Don Watkins, check him out. Check out his new letter. Check out his, his free sources. The guy is such, is such a clever person in understanding how communication works that quite often I see the stuff that he puts out in the internet and I say, this should not... How is this free? Anyway, so we're, we're bringing this guy to you uh, again only for Ayn Rand Center UK members. So go to ARC UK slash membership and become a member. As if this is not enough, Monday we have the premiere of the HBTV. What is HBTV? You probably know HBL if you're an objectivist, the Harry Binswanger letter. So Razi thought, why is there an, a Harry Binswanger letter and not a Harry Binswanger TV? This is something that we need to fix. So he made it happen together with, together with uh, the generous uh, uh, support of ARI. We are bringing to you Harry Binswanger every Monday, 8 o'clock. Uh, I think it's going to be with me as a co, not as a co, as someone there who's going to throw him the ball and he's going to teach us uh, philosophy and its application in, uh, in real in its application in, in life. So plenty of stuff happening. There's zero can I, can reason Can I just say, Nikos, that is such a huge opportunity. I mean, you know, Harry knew Ayn Rand, worked with Ayn Rand, did a book with Ayn Rand and under her tutelage. So, you know, I remember in the 80s and 90s, we used to pay a hundred bucks just for a friggin' VHS or eight track with somebody like Harry talking. So to be able to interact with him in a Zoom type environment is so awesome. And everyone should become a member of the Ayn Rand Center UK to take advantage of this type of gold. It's more gonna be on a YouTube environment because on the Zoom studio, it's gonna be me and him, but people can ask questions via YouTube, by Super Chat and all that stuff. Exactly. And again, this is not free. Uh, all these things are not free. Uh, are, it's not, anyway, we don't want to give details, but it's not free. So if you want more of that and keep supporting us, we really appreciate it. But also this is the fuel that makes us all the time giving more and more stuff and providing hopefully more and more value. On that happy note, let's go to Clubhouse. Gelman, great to see you. Bye everyone. Peace.